Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you to the robotics community in Australia. Today is episode 139, and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce you to Dr. David Cole. David is a co-founder and CEO at Fly Freely. David has actively been involved in the drone industry for over 10 years. In 2013, he founded a drone services company to provide contact drone services before pivoting the company to focus on developing the Fly Freely drone management software platform in 2018. David holds a Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering and a Doctor of Philosophy from James Cook University. David, welcome and thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks, Nikki. Lovely to be here. Tell us a little bit about your journey and your particular interest in drones. Yeah, so I, I guess it all, you know, being an engineer, it, it, that's where it, the, uh, I guess it started. So as you mentioned, back in 2013, I was working as a consulting engineer in northern Queensland, uh, primarily across the sort of mining, agricultural and uh, construction industries. Heard about these things called drones. I thought, wow, you know, these things could actually you know, not just improve efficiency, but there's all the safety benefits and just applying that technology could be hugely beneficial. So we basically took the risk and went out, bought a bunch of drones and actually started offering that as services to customers in the region. So we were really, for many of the companies up there, their first entry or, or first time they'd ever seen a drone, uh, the services our, our company's providing. So we had a lot of really you know, and we were trying things that which we had never done before or um, no, there was no exist out there. And luckily, we had customers who were also willing to willing to give us a shot, basically. And, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was really exciting and interesting times. Yeah, 2013, I was about to say, I started my company in 2015 and telepresence and social robots was like an unknown factor at that time in Australia. So I imagine even two years prior to that, drones, what is that? And um, quite a different landscape to what we're seeing today. Yeah, so it's a lot of lot of educational, you know, tr trying to get people to understand the benefits of, of what the technology can bring. You know, also a lot of reluctance around, you know, what are the rules and regulations on using these things, all those sorts of other issues that, that crop up besides, you know, the, the pure technology side of it. And then... The big challenges start around, okay, cool, we've, we've got all this data, now what do we do with it? Um, so, yeah, it was a wide range of sort of issues from, you know, how to even how to do training. Uh, so back in back when it was started, the only training, the, the way the licensing worked is you actually had to do your the first part of your private pilot's license. That, that was the, the base training, so there was dedicated uh, traditional so uh, it was uh, quite and, and quite a high and the technology itself was shall we say a little bit uh unreliable what 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 was on the box and what it said it could do uh, two two different things <laughs> i'm very uh, familiar i'm familiar with that scenario <laughs> i think the difference is i was i was paying like eight thousand dollars and then something arrived and you go well this is not what the youtube channel showed yeah, exactly, me exactly <laughs> exactly we had, we had some fun, fun. So there was a few scammers around in the early days as well. We, we yeah. got scammed. We got scammed for sure. <laughs> um, you know, saying it could do certain things and it just couldn't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a bit of the Wild West. Sounds like a steep learning curve. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
and it was one of the you know one of the things we we we've come to start doing um is actually helping people start uh, because there is so many traps and you, you can go down a lot of wrong paths initially before you find it um so a lot of what we did today is just helping people okay to um you mentioned some training. So what is typically training that people have to do if you're starting out with drones? Yeah, so we're pretty lucky in Australia. We've got a fairly rigorous and well-structured syllabus. So okay. it's it's essentially a three- to four-day course at the moment, right, pilot's license. Um, that's typically how to start, and, and that will get you typically a sub-seven-kilo uh, multi-rotor license. You can kind of get upgrades from there um, to larger craft and types of craft. Okay. And, and more recent, yep. Yeah, and and more recently, they started adding more advanced. There's some beyond the site that's dedicated. Uh, okay, so I'm assuming a lot of it's done through COSA, which is of course the Civil Aviation Safety Authority. But do they have subcontractors? So I mean, you can do the training, for instance. Yeah. So there's actually yes, CASA oversees it all, and there's several training providers that are that are accredited by CASA. So they actually have to go through a pretty rigorous process to become a training organization should offer that and then they're they're audited pretty regularly um so it is it's reasonably it's pretty rigorous on that side just to keep the standards reasonably high well, as, you'd, as yeah. yeah you'd expect it to be like that because you know you don't want drones flying around in airspace and doing all sorts of things they shouldn't be doing yeah correct it's it's a lot of again just making people what not just what the rules are, but also what other airspace users are doing and are likely to do and how, if you're not communicating with them, that can become problematic. So, yeah, th there's all those kinds of uh, issues that that's covered. It, it's much more than, you know, actually hands on the sticks flying the craft is actually a small part of what you learn because you're learning not just about airspace, but weather and human factors about, you know, humans, how you perform, fatigue, stress, and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably also, sorry, this is probably also for, you know, not people that are just, this is a hobby that they're flying drones. This is for people that are using drones for their livelihood. They're inspecting power lines. You know, they're doing serious work with drones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and particularly when you get to the larger drones, you know, that the smaller ones, you can argue the risks are relatively low. It doesn't take much to get to a size where it can actually start to do some pretty serious damage to you and to other people and other sort of infrastructure. So, yeah, it, it does be, you know, reasonably serious. Like the, the actual pilot in command has a lot of responsibility and the way the laws are written, they actually, you know, they're subject to strict liability. So that means you can't use ignorance as an excuse. So I didn't know doesn't fly <laughs> literally. <laughs> so, literally right so they have to be make themselves informed of, of all the yeah. rules and regulations and you know operate according to those because if something goes wrong that's when you know the proverbial will, will hit the fan and and people will start pointing fingers and asking lots of questions so yeah, yeah that, that's definitely want to try and avoid that yeah definitely so from a contract services point of view you pivoted to Fly freely. So tell us, a what is fly freely and how the whole pivot happened? Yeah, so it's it's an interesting journey. So you know, we when we started out, um, we were doing everything manually. So basically, planning all our missions on pen and paper. So you know, that's looking up all the airspace charts and doing all the risk assessments and all those sorts of things. We then started to say, okay, what apps can we use to help 
improve this. And I think we ended up with about four or five different apps doing different parts of the whole process. And then we're like, this is crazy. Let's actually start kind of building a dedicated platform to do this. And that's, yeah, we started building it for ourselves, basically. So it's essentially a piece of software to help manage the whole life cycle. So from planning the mission through to the approvals, through to the execution in the field, and then back to the reconciliation where you're basically, you know, updating things for maintenance, updating all your logs, reporting to whatever is required. So we started building that as, as a service provider. We then had our customers coming to us going, hey, can you help us start our drone programs? And by the way, what do you use to manage all your operations? And it's like, well... Have Not we got a deal awesome. for you? <laughs> Let me you? tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of, um, you know, a confluence of factors where we could sort of see the contract services work would start to go away as, as these organizations started to bring the capability in-house. And then we also saw the opportunity, okay, well, software is actually pretty scalable um, and we can actually sort of take that global. Um, so let's kind of fully, fully focus on that. Um, and yeah, that, that's basically what we do now. So really building that software platform out to really streamline and remove the barriers, not just people starting, but scaling. Scaling is now becoming a, a, a challenge for a lot of companies. They, they yeah. start small, a couple of pilots and, you know, you kind of don't necessarily need a management system, but as, as soon as you get to that five, 10, um, you actually start to run into issues where it's, it becomes very difficult to grow. Um, so that's kind of one of the main problems we solve. It's a lethal combination, you know, like, and it's a it's a rare combination because normally roboticists are roboticists. Like, you know, they're mechatronic engineers and this combination of having the capability to do software engineering and software design and development. Um, obviously, you've got people on your team that are, you know, and yourself, you're proficient in doing it. Did you have the team already there or did you have to bring people in? No, no. So, yeah, I had to, had to bring people in. I was very lucky. I uh, found Nigel, uh, the other co-founder. Ironically, we're at university at the same time, but in totally different parts. So we actually never met. Um, so it's actually through a mutual acquaintance that we got introduced. And it's like, okay, Nigel can handle all, all the technical uh, development side. I've kind of got the sort of industry experience and kind of understanding of how it should be architected, how this is architected. And yeah, basically came together, yeah, push and basically I yeah, built it out from there and yeah, slowly built out the team. So um, obviously getting more developers involved, but in more recent years, actually a focus on sales marketing. Um, so we've worked actually pretty hard on, on the sales process and the sales side to really firm that up, particularly as we're dealing with a lot of enterprise customers. And that is a complex sales process. Many stakeholders, the things to to deal with, IT, legal, all those sorts of things. So that, that's been a, a steep sort of learning curve for us all. And in terms of your, your contract, your service providing, are you still dealing with drones at all or that you've completely left that side of the business? We only really do it for A, internal testing, yeah. and be any sort of one-off special projects where we're testing something completely new. So like, for example, this, the drone in the box uh, technology that's coming out, we still hold our license to, to ensure that we can actually perform those operations ourselves initially to actually just learn. 
um, and understand the process. And then we'll actually, it helps us then incorporate all the features we need into our software to make sure when, when a customer gets our software, it's going to do everything they need for that particular application. So we, we don't offer it to the public per se. Mm. Um, it's more special portal that will actually involve them flying. Okay. So your app, basically, um, I've just bought myself a little drone at wherever, and I'm an amateur playing with drones and things. Would your app work for me? Yeah. So the, the use case in that instance would be, honestly, it'd be probably just be airspace checking. So with the field app, you can essentially, where can I fly? So literally I'm here. Um, push a button and it will tell you, you know, red, orange, green, basically, depending on what you want to do and where you can fly. That, that would be honestly the, the simplest use case as a sort of amateur user. Once you want to start getting doing more tracking your flight time, um, then you would move up into higher figures of the product. So the, the free tier at the moment is really aimed at recreational going through. You can do all this and more in the more business oriented as a could have paid for. Okay, super. So your um, what is your business model? Is it a you purchase a one-off app or it's a yellow subscription? How have you structured it? Yeah, so it's based on a per pilot uh, subscription model. Um, so typically businesses will, will take out an annual subscription per pilot, but there is monthly uh, options available. And yeah, essentially just scales up and down uh, where pilots you have. And as pilots swap their one else, they'll still recall the data. Remove any data. Um, a couple of reasons for that one is this regulator basically requires that for seven years. So we basically retain that and your data is yours. So anytime I take it out, that's, that's totally up. But yeah, we, we try to be as, and and because one of the, the challenges is people will often fly for multiple organizations. So one of the unique things we have is what we call the logbook for life. So essentially no matter which organization you work for, your history will always be available to you. So it doesn't matter if the company you work for, you know, doesn't have a license or has a license, yeah. uh, your history will always be there. Because um, that's, that's quite, like, yeah, it's quite important. Yeah, obviously. And if something happens to the company or they decide to delete your history because you're no longer there. So is this something, I mean, you obviously say your company is the client and I'm a pilot and I come in. So the company retains the information of the work that I've done for them for seven years. But as the pilot, where is my information then? Yeah, so we'll retain a uh, a very much simplified version of that. Okay. So it's, it's, it's going to remove a lot of the intimate details of the operation, but it's got the core things like what day was it? How long was the flight for? What was okay. the make and model of the drone? That that core information. Um, that's kind of required as part of your logbook. The, the pilot anyway. has a responsibility to, to have a logbook. Yeah. Um, so that that's kind of what's retained there. And then then what's interesting is they've got a pretty authoritative history. So when they go to a new company, and the company says, show me a logbook, you can have a pretty high degree of confidence that that is true and correct, yeah. um, what they've got in there. So it just helps with the in the integrity of um, the whole system as well. Congratulations. Tell me, um, is the app only based for Australian users or international? No, so it's one of the things we, when we were initially designing the system, is actually making it multi-jurisdictional. So we've got several customers that are operate across countries. So typically Australia, New Zealand, and now we're starting to get to the UK, Canada, uh, and US. And yeah, basically we 
we upload all the different rules and regs for the different countries, uh, along with all the different airspace data. And then uh, we also built something we call the authority system. So that's kind of how we model the regulations. And so different countries, you have different authorities under which you can give you the, the authority to operate. And so we model those. And then so organizations can actually just switch between different workflows depending on which country they're in. Okay, so if they're on the app, do they then just literally go into, well, now no, I'm in this country and they just go in there and then a different set of rules come down? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways we, we handle it. You can do the drop down. And from memory, I think wherever you move on the map, it'll kind of dynamically change as well. So if you okay. move across to New Zealand, it'll switch without you even really knowing, knowing that. It's very sophisticated. So in terms of, we've touched a little bit on how the industry changed since you've started in it, but... What are the biggest changes that you've witnessed in your time? Yeah, I guess from a, a technology point of view, I mean, it's it's very much that the technology is just the it's just changing so rapidly and getting so sophisticated. You know, the amount of sensors on on a even you know a cheap drone is quite extraordinary. Um, you know, they they've almost got full three sixty degree sensing capabilities now, so they're you know, relatively idiot-proof. It's pretty hard to crash one these yeah. days or, or run into a wall because all those sensors just automatically, you know, stop it. So that's been what what you're getting for what you're paying for is pretty incredible. Just like in the, in the optic, flight time and all that that sort of thing is 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 just pretty nuts. That's very much on on the sort of technology side, on the regulatory side because that's always been a, a challenge, right? That's always the battle is that the capability of the drones are such that they could be used for a lot of things, but the regulatory side is kind of um, not necessarily a barrier, but it, it is, you know, limiting their, their use. So it's like, how do you put the regulatory frameworks in place to actually enable more widespread use? Um, so that's kicking off at a rapid pace. There's a lot of work going on to enable, you know, the more complex things like the beyond line of sight operations, operations over people, you know, all the delivery types type work and the flying cars are coming. Yeah, so... I know, I know. <laughs> so it's Who was right. talking about this? Um, yeah, it's going to be ready for the, the Olympics. I'm going, wow, but yeah, someone did mention this to me. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's actually all happening in the, in the background uh, rather quickly. And then the integration into airspace. So how do you start to mix in, you know, the drones with the actual uh, traditional uh, aviation? Yeah. So there's there's a whole bunch of work going on at the moment around essentially uncrewed traffic control or traffic management, UTM as, as it's called. So we're involved in, in some of the testing of, of the sister one of the potential systems a year or so ago and that's that will basically and start to lay the groundwork for really quite widespread usage in sort of airspace and locations that are kind of off limits at the moment so that'll be a huge enabler you know what's interesting to me and i work in the industry not necessarily in drones but you know in robotics so i think i'm reasonably okay with what's going on but all of this comes as a surprise to me. And I'm thinking, what about the average person out there that doesn't, they've got no idea what's going on in the industry and how evolved it actually is? Yeah, no, it's it's getting quite sophisticated. And just even the, not just on, on the, like the, the requirements on the regulatory side are quite rigorous. 
you know, to apply for these more complex operations. There's actually a lot going on and a lot of based on science and physics and all those sorts of things. It's it's not just someone with an opinion. There is actually a lot of solid work backing it, you know, about around quantifying what is the risk of, of certain things happening and, and what mitigations do you have in place to, to mitigate those kinds of things. So, yeah, it's it's pretty extraordinary. And now we're starting to, the other thing that's starting to happen is drones were very much used for sensing. You know, it was cameras taking photos of things, you know, LIDAR, scanners, all that sort of stuff. They're actually now starting to move more into the physical. So, you know, if a couple of our, one of our customers build power lines um, with drones, another company plants trees with drones, uh, another person we're talking to, they've, they've got these wash drones so they can actually start washing buildings with drones. Yeah, it, it's pretty extraordinary. It, it's starting to, those areas of traditional robotics, you know, picking and placing and moving things around are starting to move, you know, the, the worlds are sort of starting to combine. So that, that's that's really interesting what's happening as well. That's fascinating. So these these uh, case studies, are they Australian people doing this? Yeah, so both of those companies are Australian, yes. And, yeah, there's, there's a whole, whole lot more um, doing sort of, you know, quite specialised things, but, uh, yeah, really quite innovative and, and uh, you know, solving a genuine problem. Yeah, problems. I mean, what's better than having a drone that can plant thousands and thousands of trees? Look, we'll go offline on this. You'll do an introduction <laughs> to all of them because I'll hit them up and I'll have to get them on the podcast. Although they'll have to be a member, obviously, because you can't just be on the exactly, podcast exactly. anymore. So, <laughs> so what do you think are challenges that are maybe holding back the industry a little bit, if any, at the moment? Yeah, so it's there's obviously always the, the technical challenges. So... I, th- I think a lot of it, you know, the drone industry has moved very quickly, um, but it's now getting to, you know, where the hardware has to be certified, yeah. right? And there has to be systems and processes behind how that hardware was developed and manufactured and all that sort of thing that the traditional aerospace, traditional automotive industries um, have had to do because you're starting to, you know, if you're going to fly over people or fly near buildings, you need, rely- you know, h- how do you prove that you're reliable? So all those things are now starting to come in. So it's like that, that capability or that um, quality control actually has to start coming in. And that, and that includes software. Um, so the software providers like us, how do you, you know, assure, assure the software? Um, and as AI and things like that get used more and more, that's going to become a, a big uh, issue. How, how do you assure that AI? Um, so we can actually say, okay, this system is okay to operate autonomously right that that is the conversations that are now starting is is um essentially you know it's it's gone over it it started out as someone manually flying it's now moving into sort of high levels of automation so uh the drone in the box uh systems that are coming out now you know essentially they're unattended robots basically um with the human overseeing it in, in essence so that's has a certain level of requirements. How does your communication system, how do, you, how do you make that redundant? How reliable is it? What happens if you lose power? Like all these uh, things you have to assure that that's all the, you know, and traditional robotics have probably actually dealt with a lot of these things already. So I think there's there's lots of learning that the, the drone, the flying drone community can learn from, you know, other robotics manufacturers and, you know, people who have, who have, 
addressed these challenges in the past. And then all the way through to full autonomy. So literally, you know, the human not doing a hell of a lot and the essentially the drone making most of the decisions. That is, you know, um, obviously defence are very interested in, in that side of things and no doubt that will filter down to um, commercial industry over time. So, um, yeah, that that's what's happening. And, and so to achieve that, it's kind of this combination of regulatory framework and technical capability, right? They're, they're kind of, you can't have one without the, the other. Yeah. So those, those have to kind of move in sync. And I think there's sort of a recognition that, yeah, that that's um, the regulators actually have to kind of be proactive and, and try and push things forward uh, as, yeah. as much as they can. I mean, there would be a timeline of, listen, you can't lag too far behind as a regulatory body. Cross off in this instance, you need to, you know, up the game. And I'm sure they recognise it because of the amount of drone companies that have registered with them anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And and I will say, CASA, so it was about 18 months ago, they actually got industry involved in developing their roadmap. So there's actually a 10-year CASA roadmap on their website, um, which basically outlines all of this, essentially, and, you know, exactly what needs to be done at, at sort of each stage along the way. So, um, no, they've been pretty forward-thinking on all of this. Okay, well, um, when we when this goes live and you have time and remember, go into the comment section and put it in or the link and yep. or I'll put it in or whatever. And just to our audience, David is actually going to be on our safety and security webinar tomorrow. Tomorrow would be the 31st year, but this podcast is going to come out after he's already been on the webinar. But it is available on our website and on our YouTube channel. So if you're interested in safety and security for robots, then please head to our, our website because there will be a recording available. And David, obviously, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. You remember Robotics Australia group of our network? I have to thank you, first of all, for you just said yes. When I said, would you be interested? <laughs> yes. So to everyone else and listening there, this is how you do it. You just listen to me and you go, yes, we'd love to be a supporting <laughs> member. So thank you. But why is this important to you? There's a lot to, a lot of problems to solve in this this industry, right? Like we solve a very, very niche sliver. So as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we need as many people involved as possible. And I think there's, you know, again, it's people who have been involved in robotics for many years and, and probably haven't been involved in the flying robots, but I think they've got a lot of knowledge and experience that they can bring. And I think we can bring some things as well, you know, getting involved in organizations who, who kind of bring all those sort of different stakeholders together um, that are quite diverse from a you know, range of different sort of different parts of the, the ecosystem. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll fully support and yeah, we'll, we'll do our best to, to help out where we can and, and contribute where we can. Thank you. I'm going to bring you on board as a spokesperson. If I don't, I'm just going to go, yeah, <laughs> little, little blurb here. We don't ask me, ask David, he'll tell <laughs> David, listen, I'm mindful of your time. Thank you so much. Are there any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with? Um, yeah, and no, I just, yeah, the, the future's, you know, really bright um, and, you know, insert taking off pun here, you know, <laughs> flying high, whatever whatever puns you want to use. It's It does feel like there's a bit of an inflection point happening at, at the moment where we're starting to see that sort of, of the technology and you know it, it'll be interesting on the social side of things like how does the community kind of accept this technology and its proliferation basically so 
yeah, talking about challenges, that may be one of the future challenges we we have to kind of address. But in the in the meantime, um, now it's just really exciting uh, to be involved. I think you know, um, I was watching some drone shows as opposed to fireworks, and I just got it's a no brainer for me. Yeah, go, go the drone show. You know, use drones for these, and far more expressive, creative, and what you can achieve than that you can do with um, you know the traditional fireworks going off that actually I, I think are inordinately expensive and not that great for the environment so I see there's a huge potential for that and in terms of the adoption of our general you know I think since COVID there's been a little bit of a pivot in terms of people and adoption of technology because I think it's recognized in Australia certainly we don't have enough people to do the jobs that we need done and there are different ways of doing we need to be smart about the landscape that we need to manage and we've got gazillions of kilometers here where we've got assets for instance that need to be monitored inspected built and you would be using technology to do this yeah exactly exactly yeah no and it's that's the one of the interesting things i think about um when you're looking at the risks associated with drones or any sort of uh, autonomous system is what's the risk actually of the traditional way you're doing it you know if, if does that actually outweigh the, the risk of um, uh, using a, a autonomous system. So, yeah, the, I think those all those sorts of issues are yeah, key things that need to be factored in. David, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. No problem. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for the opportunity and, yeah, speak again shortly. We will. And to our audience out there, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this chat with David. Reach out to him on his LinkedIn profile. He's pretty active there and he'll get back to you. Any business you want to throw his way, definitely reach out to him. Otherwise, contact me and I'll just do an introduction for you as well. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're well and enjoy the rest of your day. Mm-hmm.